Welcome to the Life in the Front Office podcast powered by Brain Fuel. Brain Fuel is a cerebral beverage that helps you find your flow state, enhance mental focus, and cognitive endurance. Elevate the brain and the body. To get yours, visit brainfuel.com, B-R-E-I-N, fuel.com, and enter the code LIFO15 at checkout for your 15% off discount, L-I-F-O-1-5, and enjoy today's episode. Welcome to today's episode on Life in the Front Office podcast, powered by Brain Fuel. Here with Brett Johnson, co-chairman of the Phoenix Rising FC. Uh, we're going to get into the couple of teams he owns and uh, a couple of the projects he's currently working on, and also how did he get into owning uh, a team within the USL? Uh, we had Lizzie Seedhouse on uh, a couple episodes talking about the Forever Proud project and the launch of the W League. Brett's on today to talk a little bit about owning a team within the USL and uh, some of the expansion um, efforts that they are going through right now. So nonetheless, Brett, welcome to the podcast. Jake, it's a pleasure to be on your show. Thank you so much for hosting me. Absolutely. So obviously the seat you sit in now, you've got multiple teams. We'll talk about the Rhode Island project. You've got one overseas in England that you're involved with, but when you know rewind quite a few years back um where's where did your interest in soccer come from and then being an entrepreneur owning a team and raising capital that's no easy feat um where did you start and, and how did you get going yeah um so let me see where to where to take that on or where how to tackle that um grew up playing soccer so loved the sport but kind of realized um about midway through my high school career that my, as I describe it, my future in sport lay elsewhere. Um, but I always continue to enjoy watching it. Uh, lived in London, uh, in my late twenties, I, I was running a computer accessory company that was founded in England, a company called Targus. And um, I had a front row seat to the EPL and then I traveled all over the world. And I, and I saw firsthand, as I describe it, the religion, um, uh, that the world kind of views football, the other football. And when I came back to the States, I was transferred back to Southern California to, to run the entire company for Targus. And, you know, kind of had a theory that over time, the U.S. would kind of catch up in, in what I described as sort of on, on, the, on the pitch and off the pitch. Uh, so I, I kind of felt that the U.S., both men and women, would, would kind of over time really improve our competitive advantage, you know, in that sport. And the women clearly prove that out. And I'm, I'm bullish on the men, you know, we don't need to go down that rabbit hole right now, but I'm bullish on the future for men's soccer um, in terms of the U S national team. Um, but long story short, I saw an opportunity to get involved with the sport when I recognized there wasn't a true soccer franchise in Phoenix and given the demographics, the size of the city, et cetera, I had an epiphany and I wanted to initially, I wanted to buy a franchise and call it Phoenix Rising, but uh, I had to kind of recognize that there was already a USL franchise there called Arizona United. And I was fortunate to buy half the team and with my partner uh, in, in Arizona United, eventually he just decided that as I described it, he didn't have the stomach for it long-term. It takes a lot of time, it takes a lot of capital. And I was able to kind of gracefully exit him sort of stage left and then bring in, in a world-class group of partners, rebranded to Phoenix Rising. And I feel very, very fortunate with where it's come, you know, from those early days. 
And you mentioned the Phoenix market um, here in a couple episodes, we'll hear from Derek Hall and, and how they've launched the Serpientes jersey and, and kind of that campaign. That has to obviously play a little bit into the success that you guys have had. If I mean, correct me if I'm wrong, it was quite a few sellouts in a row during the whole streak last uh, season in, in two, 2021 when you guys won the championship. I mean, the business model, it works, right? I mean, there, there is obviously an appetite for soccer within Arizona. Yeah. Yeah, it does now. And the credit goes to my partners. I mean, I, I, one of my, one of my companies is called fortuitous partners and fortuitously I met uh, Mark Detmer and Tim Reister and Bear Kapakai and a host of others that have become sort of invaluable drivers of, uh, you know, Phoenix rising. Um, The big, the big, shift for us was the decision to build our own stadium. So we had, you know, we're now playing in a 10,000 plus seat stadium in Chandler and doing very well with that endeavor. But the last three seasons we've been, you know, we had a 6,200 seat stadium and, and playing in a soccer specific stadium in a great location changed the fortune. And, and it's now been a model that a lot of other USL teams have started to rightly so adopt. Um, But you know, Phoenix is an incredible sports market. It's, 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 you know, one of the most competitive sports markets in the country. It's got literally every single major sport you can imagine. But for a lot of reasons, that's a market that deserved uh, to have a team like Phoenix Rising. You know, the, the potential was already there, always there. I just don't think the, the right ownership group was there with the right culture and approach. And I think finally all the planets have aligned to finally get that mark, give that market what it's, what it deserves. But um, we don't, we don't take it. We don't take any of the success for granted because you got to also recognize day in and day out. We're also competing with a lot of other, uh, options for the sports dollar in, in that market. You aren't competing against any other soccer teams, but to your point, it is a very crowded market right now. You've got the Suns going to the NBA finals, right? I mean, there's, there's a lot of momentum in the market as a whole. Uh, how do you compete? And also, how do you separate yourself other than the fact that you built a new stadium and it's, you know, you want people to come out and see it? Yeah, I mean, I think, as you know, soccer, football has its core fans. And I think we the demographic growth of football in this country, and when I say football, I mean soccer, um, is very, very positive. And I think it'll hit a whole nother level when men's World Cup comes back in 26. I think women's World Cup will come back in 27. Um, but, you know, look at the European championship. Now the, I saw the ratings the other day and Phoenix was in the top 10 for viewership of that. And so I think that speaks, we've probably converted a fair number of people that are watching the European championships because they started coming out and watching Phoenix rising. So I think anyone who plays in the broader landscape of soccer, we all complement each other. Um, but that being said, I mean, when I mentioned Derek Hall, I've had the pleasure of meeting Derek several times. I love the job that he does, you know, with the diamondbacks and, um, but we, we also, over time, we also, I think, have a symbiotic relationship just in terms of supporting each other. I mean, it was great to see, even though I live in LA, I'm, I'm happy for Phoenix relative to what the Suns pulled off last night and hope they can continue that. Uh, you know, over time, you just start to get into the habit, I think, of supporting the broader sports ecosystem in your market. And I feel like obviously we're a part of that. Absolutely. What went into the idea of building a, a complex, right? Not just a stadium, but a complex. You've got multiple practice fields, you know, you're down at the the wild horse uh, pass, you know, property down there on, you know, the Gila, Gila river um, Indian reservation. I mean, 
what goes into that? Because my, my follow-up question is, you know, we'll talk a little bit about across the country with your Rhode Island project and not just building a stadium there, but also a little bit more around it. What goes into the investment there and, and the idea behind it? Yeah, it's a great question. There's so much that's associated with it. I mean, for, first and foremost, I think that, and I, by no means is this unique to what I'll just say is, is me or by extension, you know, Phoenix Rising or the teams that I'm, you know, very fortunate to be associated with. A lot of teams have started to recognize that it's important to develop the real estate around your stadium, around your franchise. Um, I live in Los Angeles and, you know, LA Live, you know, the downtown, you know, LA, LA Kings, Lakers, you know, that's transformed downtown. When I first moved to this city, you know, before that, that really got stabilized, you know, people weren't going downtown. Now people are selling their homes and moving downtown. And so I think kind of creating a sense of place, this 365 day live, work, play, you know, um, developments um, have transformed big cities. What I feel very proud of when I think about, you know, segueing to Rhode Island is we're going to create on a, you know, what I would say is a smaller market, but we're going to create a world-class stadium and a very impressive mixed use development where people are going to want to live. P companies are going to want to move their employees to, to work there. And it'll really become a destination that drives unbelievable economic value, creates a lot of jobs and is really phenomenal for the broader community. So, you know, Getting back to Phoenix and our partnership with Gila River and the move to Chandler, we now have a 10,000 plus seat stadium, which is a phenomenal venue. We have uh, our training facility. And over time, we're going to develop close to 100 acres in partnership with Gila River and start to add an incredible mix of options um, and really create that much more value to the community. You know, and, and we love that partnership with Gila River. But I, I just think for so many reasons, um, sports assets need to have more than just the team. And, you know, from an economic perspective, from an investment perspective, I think all of these things make sense. But then also, I, I, as I would say, just in terms of creating more community engagement, community involvement, um, you know, they become kind of a requisite as well. Yeah, and, and from a perspective of, you know, kind of seeing your return on investment, right? Because uh, setting up 100 acres is no, you know, uh, pocket or change, you know, change in your pocket. I mean, that's it's a sizable amount that you're investing in not only the community, but but the build. What do you expect from a time frame standpoint on, you know, seeing those returns? Obviously, there's, hey, opening night, you see the fans packed in the stadium, there's kind of that immediate gratification of like, all right, you know, we're getting there. But then, is it a five-year, 10-year outlook? You know, what, how do you look at those types of investments when you start them, you know, a couple of years before you even put a shovel in the ground? Yeah, well, I, I'll speak specifically to Rhode Island. So backing up a little bit, as I started to recognize what I'll call the social and economic impact that a team like Phoenix Rising can have, I started to think about other markets where I could bring what I'll call my partnership with USL to other markets. I, I went in a prior life, I went to Brown which is in Rhode Island, Brown University. Um, I had connections to the state. Um, they were losing their iconic AAA baseball team. The Pawtucket Red Sox were picking up and moving to Massachusetts. And so for a host of reasons, I started recognizing what a phenomenal opportunity would be to bring a USL franchise to Rhode Island. And, and on top of that, 
Rhode Island, unbeknownst to a lot of people, is consistently in the top 10 for media ratings for soccer on television, sort of World Cup, EPL, um, European Championship, et cetera. So when you take all that together, it made a lot of sense. And then the last piece of the puzzle was that there was a, a, a program that came out of DC at a, in 2017 called the Opportunity Zone Program, which was creating these special districts, these zones, where if you invested capital gains into real estate and or businesses in opportunity zones, that they had favorable tax benefits for, for shifting those dollars. And, you know, looking at that, I started thinking to myself, you know, how fantastic would it be to find zones that, you know, were underrepresented in terms of investment and start to bring a professional soccer team and start to build a bunch of other stuff around it. So, that's when sort of the Rhode Island project um, was born. Uh, we've been at it for about two and a half years and we're gonna break ground on the stadium in the next 90-ish days. And we'll be playing in about 18 months. And it'll be a 15,000 seat stadium in you know an unbelievable location just outside of Providence, about 45 minutes away from Boston, right off the freeway um, and, and going to create over time, fully stabilized, it's going to create thousands of jobs. But the real estate becomes a critical part of it. You know, professional soccer teams uh, require a lot of capital, and you know, over time, I'm very, very bullish on the economic model. But a lot of the returns on professional soccer comes from the long-term equity appreciation of the franchises. So you're going to be taking operating losses for for the foreseeable future. So one of the ways to mitigate or offset those losses, in my opinion, is through real estate. So build real estate, stabilize it, and then benefit from those cash flows while you look to kind of achieve the same state with the franchise. You know, that, that's, that's a very complex business model and a somewhat short um, overview. But, um, but ultimately, you know, what you really hope to do is at the end of the day, build a legacy where it really does change the community. And I know that's going to be the case in, with our Rhode Island project. And I know it's the case with our Phoenix project and a host of other areas that I'm blessed to be involved with. And just completely aside or separate from me, what I'm seeing with a lot of other ownership groups you know, across North America, in particular with USL, but also obviously with MLS and other, other sports leagues. When you start one is is the opportunity to start another and start another how how do those doors continue to open and and i know it's really easy to kind of look at a map at the you know at the us and go all right you know who's playing where what cities are open which ones don't have teams and you know it's it's a lot easier said than done but when you talk about the real estate component i mean even just the challenges over the last you know year and a half of uh, housing rates and, and lumber. I mean, all those sorts of things. How has that impacted, say, the last you know 18 months of this process for you? Yeah, so I'm specifically involved, obviously, in Phoenix. I own the USL League One team in Tucson, and I'm, I'm excited about the prospect of what we'll do in that market. And then obviously beyond involved relative to standing up this opportunity in Rhode Island. I do work with USL in a host of other markets where, you know, they either put me in touch with the group there or, or vice versa, um, because I, I feel like I can be of value in kind of advising local ownership groups in terms of how to structure these public private partnerships and, and um, you know, maybe benefiting from the almost seven years of experience that I've kind of got in the broader space. 
Um, but you know, you've got to be in it for the long haul, as I describe it. None of it's for the faint of heart. It requires, you know, a lot of time and money. I, for sure, I, I'm blessed. I love the markets that I get to focus on. I love the partners that I'm uh, so fortunate to have. And, but I've also started to recognize that I've got to be a little bit selective because there's only so many hours in a given day to try to move these things forward. Um, and, I'm, and now I've got the added benefit of we close a sizable investment in Ipswich and we've got, um, you know, that, that's a dream come true, that investment. And then, you know, for a little while, I've had a, an interest in Helsinger, the team in, in Denmark. I'm kicking the tires on potentially making an investment in Australia, which I think could be very compelling. So uh, it, I'm, I'm certainly not shying away from taking on added responsibility, but I'm becoming a little bit more cognizant of the fact that I do have to recognize that there's only so, you know, as I said, I, I worry about I'm going to get stretched too thin. And then I, I worry about executing because obviously it all comes down to executing. And I, the last thing I want to do is over promise and under deliver. Yeah, absolutely. And, and a lot of it, as you mentioned earlier, is the people that you have around you to help make that happen as well. I mean, that's obviously a key component. Um, you know, we were talking earlier, uh, yes, you're going to do your fair share of traveling, you already started, um, but it's got to be, you know, and correct me if I'm wrong, but it's got to be kind of interesting and, and neat to come full circle a little bit where you said you were overseas in your 20s in London, and then now being able to, you know, invest into the team in England. Are they in similar cities close enough? It, it's got to be kind of a, a come circle or a full, full circle dream come true for you in that sense. Yeah, so Ipswich is 90 minutes outside of London, northeast of London. Um, so proximity-wise, not too far away from where I spent so many years. Um, but I, I've always, I've always felt that you know, if you're invested in soccer, the ultimate market is England. You know, it just uh, for a lot of reasons. You know, not the least of which is obviously, I think, the reverence that I have for the EPL. But um, no, it's fantastic. I'm. But, you know, obviously, because of the surreal environment that we continue to be navigating relative to COVID, um, not had the pleasure of going in and actually visiting Ipswich in person, which is amazing. Um, it's amazing on two fronts. It's amazing that we were able to acquire a club without physically going to visit it. And sec secondly, it's now amazing to own an asset that I couldn't be more proud of and yet uh, still not have visitation rights, or at least not have visitation rights that would require me to quarantine, which I'm, you know, for a lot of reasons, the wife and three kids, and probably just for my sanity, I'm not prepared to lock myself up in a hotel for whatever period of time they would require me to do so. Well, if you've, if you've gone this far already, I think you can wait a little bit until you don't have to quarantine anymore. So, um, right. you know, in talking about that, let's switch to our brain fuel segment as we wrap up here, because uh, you know, as, for someone who's accomplished so much already and, and will continue to accomplish even more, um, there's got to be someone uh, that you could have the brain of for a day. Who would you choose? Yeah, it's a great question. I mean, I, I, I think um, in terms of the current era that we live in, um, Elon Musk would be interesting. You know, I, I'm in awe of how the guy on seemingly on his free time launched a car company that you know, did, did, it does everything that Tesla's done, but then also, you know, I I'd love to, it's almost comical. If I saw him, if I saw a character like that out of a movie, you know, you, you know, you just kind of shake your head and said, no, that someone like that couldn't exist. The fact that they're shooting rockets off into space and he's probably going to put someone on, you know, in Mars at some point, you know, 
however busy I ever think I am or whatever I think I'm doing, I kind of think like guys like that. And I'm like, man, <laughs> how do they, how do they possibly manage their days? And I understand he's got five kids. So he's, right. he's, he's got even more on the home front than I do. How do you, what, what's your secret to productivity with everything that you do? Is there, is there a ritual routine that you have that, I, I, that makes you work? Get sleep, get a good night's sleep. I, I've got, uh, I've invested in, so I've got a private equity company, um, and I, I'm, you know, invest in things that I like, or one of my investments is Aura Ring, this wearable. Um, it's, I love it. It's, um, but I highly, highly, for those that are interested in performance, you know, uh, it's not a bold statement, but I don't think there's anything that will improve your performance better than a good night's sleep and consistently get a good night's sleep. So the older I get, the more competitive I become with making sure I get a good night's sleep. But I, I can pretty much guarantee you if I'm well rested, I could take on almost anything. I can handle any setback. But, you know, when you when you're really drained and, and you know, that side of, of your, you know, personal balance sheet, if you will, starts to get impacted, it's tough to be effective. Um, so yeah, so sleep, sleep is an absolute premium for you, but you know, that's where I find now that slowly I'm starting to travel again, I'm a lot more cognizant of the toll that travel takes on me. You know, I just got back from Rhode Island a couple of nights ago and, you know, it's, it's important to kind of be face to face on these projects, but it, it has been nice to see how much you can potentially get done just by obviously an effective zoom call. Yeah. And from a sleep perspective, notice that you didn't, you didn't actually mention number of hours there that you, you were pointing towards quality, which Again, there's a lot of science behind it. I mean, there's, there's a lot more than just, hey, you need eight hours of sleep. Like, that's not necessarily the case. Well, again, Aura, it's amazing the way the data that I get from it. But, you know, you, you need hours, quantities, very, very important. And then quality, you know, how deep, you know, the all of these different statistics, which I now track very, very closely. But look, before I started focusing on my sleep, I mean, you know, I'd be working much, much later at night, I, you know. I'd also kind of be doing things that are a little bit mindless, to be honest. I'd be watching, you know, television and stuff like that. And, you know, I kind of cut all of that stuff out of my sort of personal diet. I just don't have the time for it. I, I can't afford it. If, it. if it means that I'm waking up with that much less sleep, I'm that much less effective in terms of getting all these projects done. And I'm also less effective in terms of being present with my family. So, again, it works for me. I know some people who, you know, hate products like this because they don't want to know, um, you know, <laughs> they don't want to know where their sleep score is ignorance can work one way or the other um well said <laughs> yeah no, no no more needed there um from a from an ownership perspective what's the what's the most important aspect to the mental side of owning a team owning a business where look you own the whole thing but quite frankly you're probably not doing everything and anything on a given day as it relates to that there's a lot of people as you mentioned early in the episode that are helping you um, achieve those, those goals at the end of the day? Yeah, people are critical. Getting the right people and empowering them are absolutely essential. And I feel very fortunate kind of throughout my career that that's been, you know, something that I've benefited from. I mean, you know, I think I've been fortunate where I've been able to get people, really, really talented people to come work with me, take a leap of faith and believe in what I'm, I'm, I'm building or want to build, et cetera. And, but if you get the right individuals plural and you give them you know the right latitude um then really good things happen and that's how you can kind of scale because you know you keep getting good people that attracts even more uh positive people and then i think you know one of critical 
asset or component is you got to stay positive on all this stuff. You know, um, it's, it's, you know, early on, I had a couple, as I describe it, you know, almost screams relative to kind of some difficult positions I was in early on with Arizona United and the financial strain. And, but I, I always kind of stayed positive and I already always believed, I mean, the definition of, of pro prosperity is to kind of understand that your future is going to be brighter than your past. And I believe that I, I, I subscribe to it, but because I'm going to do everything that I can to make it so. And so it's, you know, from my perspective, it all kind of all that adversity, et cetera, it helps to first and foremost, make sure it, it shakes, shakes you out. And if you're not committed to it, then it will shake you out and then you should go do something else. But if you can get through that adversity, then I think that's when the rewards come. And that's when you start to see, you know, it becomes a little bit easier to start to kind of rinse and repeat or copy and paste whatever analogy you want to use to try to make more positive things happen. But that, that's a long way of my saying why I try to stay very, very humble because I recognize how fortunate I am and how different it all could have been. Um, and then also kind of just recognize what a joy it is to be able to do what I get to do with the beautiful game and beyond now. Absolutely. If you could be, and you mentioned this earlier, your, your athletic, uh, you know, we won't call them shortcomings, but you realize what you were meant to do uh, off the field. Uh, if you could be the best in a single mental sport, what would it be? Single mental sport. Chess, poker, esports, something of that sort. That's a good one. That's a good one. I, uh, what was it? The Queen's Gambit. That was probably the last television show I actually watched. So, you know, it'd be yes. pretty, yeah. It'd be, I mean, it's pretty sweet to see, you know, a grandmaster and just see them, you know, I, I love the way, you know, the concept of those, the, their brains work, but yeah. Um, but in the meantime, I'm just happy if I could beat my kids in Uno and recognizing <laughs> that, <laughs> recognizing that that's probably driven more by luck than anything else right now, especially when we're my five-year-old turns to me after an Uno match and says, I just smoked you, dad. <laughs> That's great. That's great. Last question for you. Uh, if Brett Johnson could go anywhere in the world for a vacation, trip, something, where would he go? Uh, that's such a good question. I first and foremost, and I apologize because they're making a little noise in the background, but you know, it's, it's always with my family. I mean, you know, to be honest, I'm not probably where I'd go is right where I am, you know, as long as it's with my family. But that being said, I've been blessed to literally travel all over the world. I've, I've, you know, very few parts of the globe that I haven't had the pleasure of kind of seeing. Um, so there's so many incredible places, but uh, trying to think where I tell people to go. I, I love Turkey, Istanbul, Bodrum, you know, my partner, Berkebekai is from Turkey. That's, that's a very special place. I love Australia. I love South Africa, Cape Town. Um, you know, uh, anyway, all, all of those are fantastic. And um you know, but I, I also see, I see a book in your future of like tra travels of Brett Johnson, you know, di different quirks and uh, and nuances of each place, you know, something of that uh, sort. But, you know, that's it. Maybe I start a little podcast on places that I travel <laughs> to. But it's funny, my kids always bring up, they bring up different places of the world. And, and I, you know, more often than not, I've been to those places. What I'm glad is I visited a lot of them when I was younger and I, I, before I had a family, you know, because again, what I, I'm just at a stage of my life where I, what I like to do is I like to be with my wife and kids and spending time with them. And, and, and when they're, as they're a little older, I can't wait to kind of go and travel with them to some of these places. Like I can't wait to go to Portman road and visit Ipswich with my wife and kids and have them see that firsthand. And, you know, it's been a lot of fun when they come into a Phoenix rising game. And, and increasingly I know 
when when I get the opportunity to bring them to Rhode Island and, and to see what what they've literally seen me from inception to where it's going to be, you know, build that up. Those are the type of things. It's what the stuff of life is about, and they're really really enjoyable moments. So. And on that front, you, you might have to join me. I'll throw a big party, you know, 15,000 of my closest friends to come, <laughs> come join, join me in March of 23. There you go. I'll be, I'll be on a plane. Yeah, you just tell me where to go. Um, Brett, really appreciate the time, perspectives, insights, and, um, you know, really incredible what you have accomplished again and, and what you're going to. Really excited for, um, you know, the, the, season to complete in Phoenix um, with with the first year of the new stadium and then also the Rhode Island project coming up so excited and uh, you're welcome on anytime. Well Jake it is a real honor I thank you for having me and I guess before we sign off I should pay appropriate you know respect and platitudes to USL because uh, the league's come so far in the time that I've been involved with it and again I I feel blessed to be able to play whatever small role I play in the overall league and what I would say is soccer in North America I'm so bullish on it I think it's an exciting time for all of us to kind of fall and port and invest time and money into 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 the sport into this, in this market. So thank you, thank you for everything you're doing. What an honor to be on your show. And uh, by the way, uh, I've got a pleasure lately of being on a lot of podcasts. You you're really good. You have some great questions. You know, so so, so keep, I, keep, I appreciate keep, it. You know, I keep it up. Thanks for listening to today's episode on the Life in the Front Office podcast powered by BrainFuel. Remember, you can get 15% off your next purchase at BrainFuel.com, B-R-E-I-N, Fuel.com, with the code LIFO15, L-I-F-O-1-5 at checkout. And if you like BrainFuel, give us a shout out, comment, share, and leave a review. And a reminder to get your copy of LOL, Loss of Logo, What's Your Next Move? Our new book written by Andy Dolich and your host, Jake Hirschman. If you go to mascotbooks.com and enter the code LIFO, L-I-F-O, you'll receive 50% off at your checkout or available on Amazon, ebook, and print.